Welcome one, welcome all. We are glad you're with us. Hour number two of the Bill Michaels Show. You had a big weekend. Brewers playing baseball. Get a, finally got a win yesterday. You've got uh, the Masters comes to a completion. You've got the NBA season coming to a completion. Now the uh, the NBA postseason gets underway. you got the draft, which is almost upon us a couple of weeks away. But uh, our focus right now getting more so into baseball and to talk more about it, long-time friend, good voice, too, our buddy Adam McCalvey from Brewers.com, MLB.com, and they've got the Brewers behind-the-scenes podcast, all that kind of good stuff, uh, joining us on the hotline. Adam, how you doing, pal? Oh, I got the newsletter that's new this year. We got the podcast. I mean, I'm doing everything but a good job at my writing. <laughs> I get the newsletter. That's pretty cool. I like that. Uh, I have only listened okay. to one of the podcasts, so that's kind of cool. Well, and Tim Dillard two, is fantastic. So five hundred. Okay, okay. I wanted to make sure I haven't missed uh, many more than that. But uh, Tim Dillard's fantastic. I love catching all that stuff. So let me, first and foremost, uh, give me your thoughts of, about the weekend itself. I mean, I think there were some people that had some raised eyebrows about Woodruff coming out of spring training. Obviously didn't help the case on, on Saturday. You got the beanball that went on and took place regarding Andrew McCutcheon uh, the other day as well. So give me your thoughts of what came out over the weekend. Yeah, you know, the thing that stands out most to me is the pitching, and we all had questions coming in about what it would look like early for these guys after three spring training starts. They're at least one behind usual, probably two, and they knew it was coming, so all those guys did a lot of work to get ready and get the arms ready, but just lacking that game competition, I think it showed. I mean, the, the one thing that stands out above all is all three guys walked the first batter, I doubt that's going to happen again very often in a turn through the rotation with Burns, Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. So they, they'll they need a little time, I think, to to get into this. Uh, they were all in the 80-ish pitch range for the first outing. And now next time it'll be more like no restrictions, kind of just manage the game. I don't think they're going to throw 120 pitches because they just don't, you know, pitchers just don't do that anymore. Teams don't let their pitchers go that far anymore especially with the extra roster spots here in April. But I think it'll be less restrictive than that first outing, and it'll look a little more like normal. So that's the thing that stands out to me the most is getting those starters out into the season is going to be the task. Keep them healthy, and they all said that they came out of it just fine. The uh, the hitting itself, um, not bad. It was it 19 hits for the weekend and played it a few runs, yeah. showed a little bit of power. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, overly concerned about hitting or anything like that. I mean, obviously that first game, all of a sudden you had all the people that wanted to see Craig Council Bunt come out of the woodwork. But beyond that, uh, it, it's just, you know, look, it's just getting hitters prepared for the season. That's about it. Well, look, and, and I think the Brewers have been in a National League club long enough now that the fans watching know that the ballpark plays such a factor there in Chicago more than any other place on the planet. And the first two days, the wind was blowing straight in off the lake. So you knew there was not going to be any power. And there wasn't. There was one home run in the first two games. Then yesterday was a different kind of day, at least for the right-handed hitters. And you saw some homers, including Mike Brasso, with a really cool moment that I wrote about a kid who grew up crawling around Wrigley Field. His dad was an executive at Tribune Corp. So he got to run around the field all the time as a kid and dreamed of doing what he did yesterday, even if it, you know, he didn't dream about it being against the Cubs necessarily. Um, So that's a big part of it. And look, day one, there was a little bit of like, oh no, here they go again. Offensively, it was, was it one for 10 with runners in scoring position? If my memory serves. That was a big problem for late last year, obviously, where the offense kind of went lights out. But 
they think they're going to be a, a better offense. Here we are again. They think they're going to get more out of Christian Yelich. Uh, they think Hunter Renfro is going to be a good addition in terms of the power and in terms of the arm and right field. They like what they have offensively, and it's a matter of going out and performing because with the pitching they have, I keep saying this, you just need to be average offensively. And you can be a really, really good team, especially in a division that's not very strong. So I think that they could just be a little bit better offensively that portends a very good season. I think if you look on the bright side, uh, Christian Yelich hit the ball. Uh, you've got, obviously, Adamas hitting the ball. you got a few of the guys that you're relying upon hitting the ball. So I'm not concerned about that. At what point, uh, Adam, you and I have talked about this almost seemingly every year. At what point do you look at a guy and go, okay, this is kind of who they are on the season. Is it like, you know, 100 at-bats? Is it 50 at-bats? Is it, you know, a month or a half, two months into the season? When do you start to look at a guy and go, okay, this is what he is? Well, it's whenever it suits what you're trying to, t- <laughs> what you're trying to say, right? So, you know, right. like I, would, I think Craig Council would normally say 100 at-bats for a guy, 100 plate appearances, before you start drawing any conclusions and start making decisions. And if you think about it, that's, you know, that's quite a way into the year for most guys, especially with the way they platoon and switch guys in and out of the lineup, which is just the norm in baseball now. But the beauty of that is, you know, if a guy gets off to a great start, they're going to talk about what a, what a great thing it is. And if he gets off to a bad start, they're going to talk about, oh, he doesn't have enough plate appearances to draw any conclusions yet. So that's the beauty of baseball is you can always massage those numbers to make it say what you want it to say. The uh, go back to the pitching staff. Hater looked sharp yesterday, which I I found yeah. tr- tremendous. I was I was good with that. Um, the rest of the starting rotation, obviously, uh, I'd said, look, it was such a ramp up to me. It wasn't about coming out and getting off to a fast start. It's about getting your work in still and getting through the first month of the season pretty much injury free and just allowing guys to fall into their routine. It, do you see it the same way? Well, yeah, and I think that goes back to this shorter. I mean, that is a factor that because of the lockout, everything got started really three weeks later than it normally would have. And then they played 18 exhibition games instead of something like 30. And that's just going to have an impact no matter how much preparation these guys did at home. I actually give them credit and Craig Council and Chris Hook did give them credit for the work that everybody did before coming to Maryvale because everybody knew at some point that well they sure hoped that at some point you were going to get word okay the lockout's over see you tomorrow and if you just roll in out of the street you were going to be in big trouble so I think everybody did a very good job of getting themselves ready but it's different it's different when you're facing a different uniform and even those spring training games are quote-unquote just spring training they do need those those reps in order to get ready for a year so even the relievers, this is a short camp, shorter than usual. For some guys, that's just fine. I think for Hader, one, you know, that's just fine. Other guys need some time, and every pitcher is a little bit different. And, you know, you mentioned Brandon Witter for the beginning, Bill. He's a guy that every spring, they say, wishes there was another one more exhibition start. He just is a mm-hmm. guy that wants the time to get going. You know, he's like the anti-Ryan Braun for a pitcher, where Braun is a hitter. He rolled in, wanted to play like three games, and he's ready to go. Other guys need a lot more than that. So it's just so different for every guy. And I think we're going to see that some players are unaffected and others, um, it will take them a little bit longer to get out there into the season. Um, so it's 
these early games, you know, we always say don't don't overreact one way or the other in April. Um, that's probably more true than ever in 2022. Give me your thoughts, or at least what the word is, between Victor Caratini, Omar Nevarez, and the Pitch.com wristband and how it's being received, used, utilized, and accepted with uh, everybody in between. You know, I was actually surprised that they broke those out right away because they were one of the later clubs who adopted in spring training, and so much of the work that they did with it was on the side instead of in the games. So I wasn't sure they were going to use it, but here we get into the regular season and they're using it. And it seems like it's going pretty smoothly. Caratini, they say, used it less in Padres camp than Narvaez did with the Brewers. So there's going to be instances where they just do the traditional sign. But the idea is basically as the catcher is throwing the ball back to the pitcher, he's punching in those codes in order to get the, the pitch call and the location. And then the voice says it to the pitcher. So like as the pitcher is doing that little walk to the mound and getting out of the mound, he knows what the catcher wants. And the idea is mostly to speed up the game. And then the secondary thing is that it, it does limit the opportunity for sign stealing if you've got runners on base. But I think the speeding up the game thing is going to be a big part of it. And I think the, the early feedback from pitchers is uh, a lot of them like it because even though it's different right now and they're getting used to it, it keeps them in a little better rhythm. Like Josh Lindblom was a guy uh, who used it very early on in camp. And he thinks that psychologically it's going to be a really good thing because before you ever put your foot on the mound, you and the catcher are on the same page in terms of what you're going to do. And he thinks that just from a conviction standpoint, that's going to play into the pitcher's favor as they go forward. So it's interesting little piece of tech, another you know little development in the game, something that happens. And I think a lot of fans in the stands don't even notice it because it happens so fast. But if it can shave those few seconds between every pitch where the pitcher's looking into the sign, I think we'd all agree that that's a good thing. They're just trying to make every effort to speed this thing up. What uh, When you talk about speeding up the game, the only question I have is in big moments in big game situations with loud crowds, is it audible enough for the pitchers to hear it, or will they have to then resort back to the uh, actual signs? Well, they always will have the signs as a fallback, so that's going to be incumbent on everybody to just keep sharp on that skill and know the signs and the combinations, especially, again, when you have runners on base, especially against a team that's known for being good at picking those things up. Um, and so far, you know, they had opening day at Wrigley, but it was such a cold day. It wasn't like a normal opening day crowd to me. Um, today is a nicer day in Baltimore. Let's see how it is for Adrian Hauser if it gets loud here. The Orioles aren't, you know. Not very good, but I think opening day in Baltimore, I think it'd be a lively crowd, a historic baseball city, one of the best ballparks on earth. I'm hoping it's a it's a big loud crowd today, so it would be a good test of that. But so far, the guys have said that it, it is audible enough, and they've been able to make it work. But you know, look, you saw Bill. If you noticed Brandon Woodruff, there were times where he kind of had his glove over his ear, listening for it. So it's something that mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure they'll continue to work on. Talking with Adam McCalvey at Brewers.com and MLB.com for a couple more minutes. It's opening day in Baltimore as he had stated the Brewers on the road and back at it on Thursday. Uh, I want to go back to Andrew McCutcheon and his explanation regarding the whole beanball situation. Look, I, I get it that the, there's a lot of times, uh, you know, the Brewers, or not necessarily the Brewers, but a lot of teams, 
You end up hitting one of the Cubs, specifically their catcher, who leans out over the plate more often than not, and, and some people understand that. But as McCutcheon stated, I didn't. When McCutcheon got fired up, I get it. You get one bite at the apple. You don't get two, and you don't work a count that way by going with a breaking pitch and then coming in on the guy trying to hit him and then coming at him again because you got him guessing because he got hurt that way. I is that an under? Do, do everybody does everybody understand that, or is that just deemed as McCutcheon crying? No, no. I think, look, here's a situation where I sort of see where everybody is coming from. The Brewers hit the Cubs a lot, and they hit Wilson Contreras a lot. And it's even, you know, when you look at the hit-by-pitch numbers over the last couple of years, it's pretty much even. But a lot of that is because the Cubs are coming back and hitting Brewers guys. And we saw, you remember last year, Ryan Tapera, the relievers, threw behind Brandon Woodruff, and it created a mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, look, the, Contreras is right on the plate. He's going to get hit, and he and I think the Brewers get him as much or more as every other team. So I understand that guys don't like to get hit. I also very much understand where Andrew McCutcheon is coming from. And as he said, that's kind of, uh, you know, there's history for him. What he didn't like is that the first pitch was a cutter on the outside corner for a strike. And as McCutcheon said, you know, when you do that and then you come three straight pitches, fastballs in at my wrist. What are you trying to do there? Why are you throwing that first pitch strike away to get you, what, leaning over the plate or think you're not going to do it, and now you come back in and do it? His argument was, you're trying to hurt me in that situation. And I understand his beef there. And as McCutcheon said, maybe it's a younger team, and hopefully there's he, – he hoped that there were some guys that have been around a little bit more to say to, in this case, it was Keegan Thompson, the reliever, like, that's not how you do it. If you're going to do it, do it on the first pitch and be done with it. So – I understand where both sides are coming. The, the hard part for me is, like, how does that end? If, if, as long as Wilson Contreras remains a Cub, it just seems to me like the possibility is there for something bad to happen to somebody. And I'm just not that into that. I'm, I'm not really into somebody getting hurt and missing time because Contreras is crowding a plate and gets clipped, and then the Cubs are going to come back and retaliate. I don't think that's very good baseball. Um, so I, I just don't know how you break that cycle at this point because it's a thing it seems at least once a year every time these clubs face each other that this becomes there's some intentional plunking going on and just count me as, as someone who's not a fan of that Adam, fantastic stuff. We'll continue to get the uh, the newsletter, watch the podcast, look for all your uh, anything and everything because you're just everywhere now. You're like the wind, man. You're just a media guy, right? guy you know, everywhere. I'm like a boil that you can't heal. <laughs> okay. We'll Here's see you on opening day. The podcast will come tomorrow. We're going to we're gonna do the podcast tomorrow morning, and it'll be out as soon as they can get it produced and edited. And tomorrow, it's just me and Dillard, so there's a chance it's going to be an utter disaster. So I would, I would definitely make sure if, you, if people haven't subscribed yet, do it, because it might be terrible. Nah. I know. It's anything and everything. And, and any, put it this way. Dillard is doing nothing more than riding your coattails, so I'm I'm trusting you on the wow. lead on this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I am like the quote unquote host tomorrow, so I'll try to keep it on the rail. <laughs> okay. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Good to talk to you, and then we'll see you back at uh, Battle of American Family Field later this week. Okay. All right. See you, Bill. Thanks, pal. Talk to you later. There you go, Adam McCalvey. We'll see him at American Family Field Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. As uh, the Brewers come back home and they uh, take on, uh, God, they've got uh, St. Louis. they got Pittsburgh uh, coming up uh, a week from today. I'll be down there for that. And uh, 
then they hopefully have more than a few wins under their belt at that point in time. But he's right on a lot of that stuff. I, I, I love the insight. Uh, there's, you know, for those that have this panic mode, don't panic. You know, it's it's very calming to say, you know what, you can't read too much into it. Let's wait till 100 at-bats to really start to judge a guy. Let's wait till at least a month's worth of starts for pitchers. Brandon Woodruff wanted to go at least one or two more starts in spring training before getting into the regular season. So we'll see if he settles back down. But uh, just, you know, kind of good to get that first weekend out of the way, if you will, and just kind of move on from there. Stay tuned. We got more of the Bill Michael Show next. Ready? This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Bill Michaels Show. Good stuff. Hey, don't forget about our friends at Robert Specialty Meats. Downtown Waukesha area. Actually, Sunset, to be exact, but uh, down in Waukesha. Great stuff from our friend Paul Roberts and Robert Specialty Meats. And uh, stopped down there over the weekend. A little grilling yesterday. Had some of the pre-made bacon and mushroom and Swiss cheeseburgers. That uh, they pre-make those things, you just throw them on the grill, and they're right. Everything just blah, right there in the meat. It's so good. Had those yesterday, and the extra spicy hot Italians. Oh my goodness! While they do, they do give you a little zip in the mouth, man. Good stuff. But uh, just enjoyed them. Grilled out yesterday. Sat down with a couple of Bud Lights. Watched the end of the Masters. Just a perfect, perfect day. Perfect day. Check out our buddy Paul Roberts and Robert Specialty Meats down in Waukesha. Go to Robert Specialty Meats Waukesha. Dot com. That's Robert's Specialty Meats, Waukesha.com. This is something we didn't even visit yesterday, or, uh, earlier today in the show, but yesterday I was paying a little bit of attention to it. He didn't win, but after what happened last week. Uh, so Danny Willett uh, was your bet, Ben, that Danny Willett was not going to finish uh, above the cut line, and he ended up finishing, what, tied for 12th is what it was? Yeah, he got lucky. He didn't hit the ball well at all. He had, he had a horrendous week, and I didn't watch any shots because I didn't really care. But he made, I, I think he made like 300 feet of putts on Saturday. He had like 30 footers for par were going in. It was ridiculous, and now I have to listen to Nelson talk about it. Yeah, he uh, he wasn't real relevant, and, and neither was Tiger for that matter after his opening round of 71 and one under, and there was so much excitement. And one of the things that I had stated, and it's not just because of the injury, but it has been, for the most part, Tiger's game since that fateful Thanksgiving evening when the whole situation and the Escalade and the golf club and all that stuff took place. Tiger very infrequently has put four rounds of golf together that have been, that have been Tiger-esque. And I did not. It, would, it was a pipe dream, and it's almost like we wanted it so bad. We were talking ourselves into it, but it it, it wasn't meant to be it just you know for for anybody to expect tiger to be in the top five top 10 in the final pairing on sunday i think as much as i wanted it and i hoped for it and i was excited it was watching tiger go hole to hole scramble play over par golf um i had to kept telling my i had to keep telling myself this guy last year was in jeopardy of losing his leg 
there was at one point they had said that in surgery there was a talk of looking for a prosthetic that would be nimble enough to allow him to play golf. That's where the the discussion was. So for as much as it was, ah, I really wanted a tiger to be there on the final day. It was also very much of let me step back and breathe. And as a, just a tiger fan, if you will, of the game of golf, let him have his moment to just walk the course again. And I retweeted it. I don't know if anybody saw it, but I retweeted it. Uh, The masters, had actually posted his final walk up 18. I, it's from the coverage of Jim Nance saying it's the much-deserved much walk up 18. Here we go. And to get that standing ovation, which was a just a, a terrific, terrific moment uh, and very much a fan base that appreciates all he's given to the game of golf, um, it was just really cool to see him get that. And then obviously to make the announcement that he is going to play in the Open Championship uh, because St. Andrews is the home of golf. That's he said that's his that old course is the the his favorite course in the world. And he can't wait to play it. But to 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 watch him make that walk up eighteen was fantastic. That that alone was must see viewing yesterday. Did you see that, Ben, or were you like out and about at that point in time? No, I was watching. I actually I got up early and when I was getting coffee and I ended up watching most of his round. I think it was clear he was out of gas and his game wasn't there. But you could also see how much it meant to him to finish four rounds and make it to the weekend. Mm-hmm. The smile right. he had on his face while he was probably double bogeying the last hole was not one he would normally have, right? Because his attitude when he's down is obviously really frustrated. But he, you could see how much it meant to him to play all four days and complete mm-hmm. it and walk the course. I think everyone right. felt that same way. I, I did talk myself into him contending after the first day, but... Uh, that was a a terrific moment. The other moment that we didn't see and, and, you know, was we saw the presentation of the green jacket and Butler cabin. We did not see, they did not air the actual trophy presentation, did they? Not on CBS. They went to 60 minutes, but they aired it on like YouTube and all this other stuff. So I pulled right. They went to 60 minutes. And I was like, wait, wait what? Wait. It, it, it really, it kind of sucked that they went to 60 minutes. I Look, I, I get there's big news going on in the Ukraine and there's other things that dominate world uh, attention and 60 minutes is a part of that. But, yeah, it was kind of disappointing that they didn't, uh, that they didn't go in actual era the trophy presentation. Now, do you know that the actual winner of the tournament does not keep the trophy? Yeah, they keep it in the clubhouse. Yep. Yeah. Stays in the clubhouse. You hold it up, you give it a kiss, you give it back. That's it. And your green jacket, that stays at the, the Masters as well. Did you That's it. notice how horrible Nick Faldo was yesterday? Am I crazy to think that? <clears throat> I did not pay a lot of attention to him. I do know that it was a back and forth with Nance and whoever the other broadcaster was, uh, where Nance was not as prevalent in the broadcast uh, until the very end, when finally they said, Jim, take it from here. And then Jim Nance took it from there. But I did not pay attention to Nick Fowler. Although I will, he kind of stumbled over his words quite a bit, didn't he? It was that, it it was really the Rory shot. 
and CBS somehow lost track of him while he was charging best round on the course. One of the best rounds ever played at Augusta and it got him up into second place. Like he wasn't going to win, but he was definitely in contention. They couldn't right. even find his shots. So you hear they're on, I think 13, the leaders and you hear a huge roar at 18. Right. And you can kind of figure what happened when you hear a roar like that. But then Nick Faldo literally says, Oh Jim, something amazing has happened at 18. And then they go to the video. Yeah. It's like, oh, I wonder if this bunker shot's going to go in. It was ridiculous. Right. And he just stepped yeah. all over Nance. Yeah. 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 That I did notice. Uh, I know that there were times that Nick Faldo, um, I, he, he screwed up the score a couple of times. Uh, and I, I get it. I mean, in his mind, he was looking at what Rory was. Rory was seven, seven under. And he kept saying, you know, a seven-shot lead, and it was really a five-shot lead. And so I understand it, but he he had screwed it up numerous times in the broadcast. This might be golf nerd stuff, but they were, and this is the whole broadcast, they were misclubbing guys a lot where Scheffler's at 15, and they say, oh, looks like he has a nine-iron, and he's going to lay up. And then, boom, he he spikes it right. over the green. Or when he right. was laying up on 13, he clearly had a short iron in his hand to then make it a three-shot hole. But instead, the ball was in the air, and Faldo's freaking out like it's going to go in the water, like he just chunked it. So yeah. I had some trouble with that. Wasn't their best um, day. By the way, now, I, I, and this is a legitimate question. Does Hideki Matsuyama not speak English or not speak English very well? Does not speak it well at all. Uh, okay, because they gave him zero lines in the presentation of the green jacket in Butler Cabin. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Yeah, that was kind he basically of a stood weird. up and got the hell out of there. It was weird because he just looked like, "Am I even supposed to be here?" You know, he just he didn't he didn't look like he got it, and I felt bad for him when they went to the presentation and the uh, president of uh, Augusta is talking to him about what he did the year prior, and you know you've been a grand champion for this past year and this and that, and Hideki's looking back and forth, and I was wondering if he was looking at say an interpreter or because I really don't know. I, I honestly did not know if uh, Hideki Matsuyama uh, is, is just speaks. I would assume he speaks some type of English at this point because Rory McIlroy has all but lost his Irish accent. Uh, you know, that, that brogue accent that he used to have. And when he was speaking after his round, you could tell a little bit, but yeah, he's all but lost a lot of his accent, but I wasn't sure if Hideki Matsuyama uh, was spoken enough to be able to present the green jacket uh, to Scotty Scheffler and in, in, in say something. And he didn't say anything. He basically held the jacket up. Scheffler couldn't get his arms in it, which was funny as hell. Uh, and then he finally got it on him. And then he didn't even stay. He, like, put it on him and then left. Left the shot. And it was just a very awkward moment. So that uh, that was... Um, that was interesting. And, uh, you know, apparently, uh, you know, a few people are saying that Hideki Matsuyama did give a little bit of a, of a speech in English at the champions dinner. Uh, but maybe that was something that he worked on. I, I have no idea. I have I've never had a chance to interview him and I've heard very little from him. So I just wanted to uh, to ask an honest question. 877-867-1670, 877-867-1670. Hit us up. A lot more of the Bill Michael Show coming up right after this. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
continue on on this Monday. Started out kind of sunny. Weather was a little bit warmer today. It was nice. And now the clouds have moved back in, and uh, it looks like, again, we are back in for just a craptastic run of weather. Um, I guess it's going to be warmer on Wednesday, but also uh, like a 70 or 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms come Wednesday. So not... Uh, <laughs> We, I, then again, I've said this before. Look, I've, I've seen Mother's Day in which, you know, we've had snow. So we're not out of the woods until maybe the third or fourth week of May. And we don't normally get warm, consistently warm, shorts and T-shirt weather warm until the second or third week of June. So, I mean, as much as, uh, you know, we hope for it, we want it, we crave it, we need it, uh, it doesn't necessarily always happen. Doesn't necessarily always happen um, right away. So we just got to kind of hang on. Got to kind of hang on. 877-867-1670. 877-867-1670. You want to find us, uh, feel free to go ahead and do so. Give us a shout. Uh, this portion of the program brought to you by our friends at Wabam. W-A-B-A-M. Wabam. And if you are looking for some of the cleaning products, say for your motorcycle, your car, you can find them out at Wisconsin Harley-Davidson. Go to WISHD.com. Stop out there on Highway 67 in Oconomowoc. Uh, or go to GetWabam.com. That is GetWabam.com. I've talked about the products for a long time, especially the whiplash product that you just uh, you know spray onto your fairing. If you're a motorcyclist and the bugs just kind of blow right off of it, it's awesome. Awesome stuff. Uh, otherwise... If you're looking for, say, industrial products, janitorial products, whatever it happens to be, go to GetWabam.com right here in our own backyard, right here in the state of Wisconsin. Again, check out GetWabam.com. That's GetWabam.com. Uh, Mark says, Bucks are division champs, but do you have any concerns about the way they played down the stretch? Not really. No. They're going to face Chicago. They should move on, uh, first and foremost. So that's something that you would assume is – I want to say kind of in the bag. And no, I mean, they didn't play the game against Dallas from a few weeks ago. The game against Dallas, that's one thing to think about. Because they did play everybody in that game and they got beat. And they got beat semi-handily. But for the most part, no, I, 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 I never really had a concern because some of their losses, they weren't even playing anybody. Didn't, didn't really play too many people. So I, and then yesterday, obviously they didn't play anybody. It is what it is. So no, I'm not concerned about it at all. And, and I just have a feeling that the way right now, holiday, uh, Middleton and Giannis are playing together. Then you throw in the addition of Brooke Lopez. Like I said, down the stretch, all you wanted to do was get everybody kind of, on the same page, get your rotation down, get ready, and then kind of go from there. Just just get it going. That's it. Uh, this, is from, uh, this is from Ted. Ted says, hey, Unit, did you see that story that came out about Joe Paterno and the Penn State football program? Uh, I just was reading it, and oh, my God, what an incredible story. I, You know what? I've heard about it. I did not. I did not. It's something that I, I'm, I'm going to read uh, later. Uh, probably later tonight or tomorrow. I just, it, it's so, um, and this goes all the way back into the 70s, if I'm not mistaken. It's so 
how do I put this? That Jerry Sandusky story is what? Oh, it's over a decade. It's 12 years, maybe 2010, 2011, I think, when all this started first coming to light. It is so. I, I, I was kind of waiting, to be honest with you, for, say, like a decade documentary, 10 years later. What improvements? What changes? I know Penn State wants this to go away. They, they don't want anybody to. And I, I get it because, look, it's in the past. It's an ugly, ugly, disgusting history for Penn State football in that program. Completely understand that. It's, it's, they're not, at this point, what, what do you hide? You're not hiding anything anymore unless you're doing it for legal reasons to avoid paying additional money. For the most part, everything's been exposed. Everything's been exposed. The ugliness of what uh, ugliness of what Jerry Sandusky was, the ugliness of a human being that Joe Paterno was, and and Joe wasn't being purposefully ugly, but what he was was literally turning the blind eye. Just don't tell me about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to think about it. And therefore, by his willful blindness, allowed all of this to continually go on. Now he did lie to the grand jury, and had he lived to see that day about lack of knowledge and such uh, to the grand jury, when it came out that he was actually testifying and involved with an insurance case prior to that, that was specifically regarding all of this. So to say he knew nothing about it was a complete lie. He would have probably been indicted on lying to a a grand jury. He could have ended up going to jail. But, you know, he ended up passing away after probably due to much of the stress of this whole thing. But, yeah, it's it's like here it comes again. And just such a hey, – Ben, you living in Philadelphia, we, ha, do you remember that when you were younger, this whole story coming out and what, what the, what the, what the um, emotion was like back then? I remember it. I was 13, but it's not, I mean, Philadelphia is not emotionally connected to Penn state. If anything, there's right. a lot of I didn't hatred so. there because it's the other side of the state and it's, it, it's a different vibe. It's more of a temple right. football, but I, I remember thinking and talking about it, but it was more of a look down upon than we are right. connected to this program and we're appalled yeah. by all of it. It, uh, and, and yeah, you're right because you know, happy Valley is kind of its own area. In its own hatred throughout the state, you either you were either liking Pitt football or you were liking Penn State football, Pitt basketball, Penn State basketball, and the Steelers are more connected to Penn State than the Eagles fans were. It's it just it, it's a weird dynamic in the state of in the state of Pennsylvania, but it just it was just such a bombastic story as to how this institution allowed all of this and and now you you know there's another story coming out i i and again i haven't read the specifics of it to be honest with you i i, I don't know so i don't know what all this uh, has is pertaining to but um it, it's you know i'll take a read and maybe we'll talk a little bit about tomorrow but yeah i remember i just i'll never forget when all that started to come out and then I'll, it's just you know i remember uh, you know, obviously the cameras all being outside of Joe Paterno's house and Paterno coming, you know, outside to speak and 
being let go by the university. And it, it was very reminiscent as to when Bobby Knight, albeit Knight was so much more defiant, when Bobby Knight went to the podium and basically incited the students, where Joe Paterno went out and tried to calm them down. You know, night at night, cameras lighting up the, uh, the atmosphere, um, and, and Bobby Knight going out there and basically, you know, holding his fist in the air and trying to condemn anybody and everybody with the University of Indiana, whereas Joe Paterno was trying to preserve Penn State and preserve some sort of dignity. It's it just uh, different scenarios, but very different, very same situations, so to speak. Uh, let's do this. We're going to step away, take a quick break, come back. More of the Bill Michael Show coming up next. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back. Glad you're with us. Appreciate it. 877-867-1670. Hey, uh, don't forget about our friends at Dwayne's Cover It All, Wisconsin's best canvas, upholstery, boat cover provider uh, in Wausau. And I'm telling you, it's worth the trip. Uh, whether you you got a boat, whether you've got an RV, uh, office furniture, whatever it happens to be, get it to Dwayne. He can get it done. Make it look like brand new. Like brand new. Follow him on Facebook as well. Go to Dwayne's, D U A N E S, Dwayne's Cover It All.com. That's Dwayne's Cover It All.com. 715 870 2119. Call him 715 870 2119. Again, 715 870 2119. And get a hold of Dwayne. Good, good people up there. And they do fantastic work. Uh, to uh, a couple of emails, our buddy Steve says, uh, Happy Monday. I'm not concerned about the Brewers yet. But they do seem to have uh, picked up where they left off last year. No clutch hitting in game one and virtually no hitting on Saturday. Much better yesterday. Let's see what they can do tonight in Baltimore. As far as Woodruff is concerned, I'm not worried at all. Yes, he had a rough uh, but shortened spring training and a rough first outing, but this is his first start of the year. It is my thought that he will settle in soon, and all the panic can be pushed to the wayside. The Cubs have a lot of class, but it's all low. Contreras is a whiny little biatch. And when he is making threatening statements, he should be careful for what he says. If he carries out any of those threats in the league, they should have something to do with it uh, or at least take action. Let's hope for a good start from Adrian Hauser tonight, and maybe the bats will wake up just a little bit. Also, for the weekend goes, what a weekend by Tiger. Totally inspiring to see him competing again and watching him back home at Augusta. Uh, For as much as he put his family through, it was great to see his mom and kids there at the end of his round as well. I watched as they filmed him going away and walking to the locker room, and he was limping horribly. I can't imagine the pain that he was in, uh, not to mention the rehab and the therapy and all that kind of good stuff. So it kind of goes on from there. But, uh, yeah, that was the one thing that if you were watching, and and Ben and I alluded to this on Thursday and again on Friday, is that, you know, yeah, there's a noticeable limp. There was a noticeable limp coming out of uh, coming out of Tiger over the weekend. Um, but you kind of, I don't want to say expected it, but you did expect it, you know? So, so Bill, he had a dismal putting performance, especially on Saturday. Do you yeah, think he looked good early? And then after that, it just kind of fell apart. Yeah. Do you think there's, there could be anything there with whatever he was taking to quell the pain, just not helping his focus? Cause if you're not razor sharp in those settings, then you'll right. struggle. Um, 
That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what he's taken for the pain. I don't know if he's just taken a leave or, you know, I, if he's taking Tylenols or if he's taking shots, I, I, I couldn't honestly tell you. I know that he had talked a little bit about conditioning and he talked about doing some other things, but I, you know, I, now don't forget, he also played practice rounds that whole week leading up to the Masters. So I, was this his first week completely on a course, walking a course, participating? And, I mean, obviously he had not played a tournament prior to this, but was this his first time going Monday through Sunday of walking a course? Because that's a challenging course, too, as we talked about. It's not a flat course by any stretch of the imagination. It's a, it's a very hilly up-and-down course. It's not quite as hilly, we'll say, as, say, some of the, the culverts that are whistling going up and down those little paths, but it's a it's a pretty hilly, you know, very undulating course. And I wonder if this was the first time he really had to do something uh, that physical, I guess, might be the best way to put it. But I, I wonder, I, I'm going to be really interested to see if he plays anything else between now and the British Open. Over you know under I mean? total Tiger events this year, or this golf year, which ends in September, Two and a I'm half gonna, over under. Um, I think he's. I think it's over. I think he plays more than two and a half. So he plays Southern Hills and then the Open. Uh, I would assume, and maybe plays even one after that. But if he, I maybe he plays a total of five tournaments this year. Maybe he plays a PGA Championship or the U.S. Open or something like that, uh, and just sticks with the majors. Um, but. I, I, I can't imagine the only two tournaments he's going to play is the uh, the Open Championship and the Masters. Both historic, don't get me wrong. Both, I mean, if you're going to play two, those that's the two to play. But I can't imagine those are going to be the only two tournaments that he plays in. I got to think that he's going to play more. Uh, Jason says, you kidding me on the Masters? It was like watching paint dry. I remember growing up and it was a much, uh, it was a must-watch television program. What's wrong with golf? I thought, the Masters, short of Faldo and a few of the screw-ups in the announcing, I thought the Masters was brilliantly covered. Did you watch the pre-Masters show yesterday? No. No, I was watching Tiger at that point. The history of the Masters that they put on CBS yesterday, talking about the evolution of the tournament, the evolution of just Augusta, how Augusta leads and led so many things like Augusta was the first course to say, look, you're going to be here every year to CBS. You're going to be here every year. We're going to bury all the cables. So all you got to do every year is just come and plug in. You don't have to worry. We're, we're going to run everything for you. The master's giving money back for sponsorships. So they didn't take the money and just put it into certain things, but they took the money and said, okay, if you want to give us money, don't give us the money. We don't need it. What we're going to do is invest it in the infrastructure. They invested it in the parking. They invested it in the course. They invested it in so many other things. Being the first to use that baseball-style scoreboard and to keep it after all these years. Which, on every way, hole, they think it is a, quote, uh, temporary obstruction. It's kind of <laughs> defined the tournament right. that Scheffler was able to drop. That is the least right. temporary thing I've ever seen. It's like a tree. Right, yeah. Still can't believe that drop. Yeah, it, but it, it was so many different things about the coverage of the Masters, having the permanent television stands there. 
rather than using scaffolding every year, just to say, look, this is our tournament. And, and the year, obviously, that all the protests took place, and the, the Masters basically said, without sponsors, we're going to pay for it ourselves. We believe in what we're doing. We're going to pay. And then to kick the sponsors out. Certain sponsors have never been allowed to come back because if they were going to fall to peer pressure and the protests, you weren't coming back as a sponsor to the Masters. And there's four of them that have never come back. They're not allowed to come back and be a part of the Masters anymore. It was just, it was completely fascinating. Completely fascinating. Stay tuned. More of the Bill Michael Show coming up next. The Bill Michael Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.